Good evening and welcome to Upbeat Live. I'm Veronica Krausis and welcome. Oh. oh. Wow. We, we've got an easy audience. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, welcome. Tonight is the kickoff of the LA Phil's um, Gen X Festival. And I'd like to introduce one of the composers on the festival, the fabulous Brazilian modernist. This is Felipe Lara. Hello. Good evening. Great to be here. And also our um, impresario and curator for the festival, the pianist, composer, and pianist, composer, conductor, conductor, Thomas Addis. <laughs> there, there, there were three things in there. I somehow one slipped my mind. How could have that been? So I thought before we get into this actual um, concert this evening, um, Thomas, that we would ask you about the actual festival and your sort of idea behind, behind it all. Because it's about 10 days of, of music, mostly yours. A lot of it is yours. I, I, yeah, no, I want one or two pieces. Of yeah, there are one or two on, pieces. On, on there, but yeah. I didn't put them in. I mean, I mean we, um, as often with these things, there are several ideas already floating around. Um, and everybody's plans were thrown up in the air, obviously, in 2020, including the Philharmonic and various things we've been talking about. Then this idea, we, we, I, I'm not going to take credit for the idea. The idea, I think, came from, from uh, Chad Smith and the LA Philharmonic um, of a, a festival called Generation X. And I had to go and look it up because I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what did you? Yeah, I, I had to look it up too. <laughs> I think, I think it, it, perhaps because it strikes me, it is a bit more of an American thing, the generations, and we don't really talk about baby boom or anything like that in England in quite the same, I don't think so anyway. So I had a bit of a learning curve and I, I kept thinking of things I'd like to put in and find that the, that person wasn't technically Generation X, it was actually a millennial or, or something else. So, but, so you know, it's a, there's a, a little bit of arbitrariness about just saying, this is a, a generation if you're born this day and not that day. But on the other hand, it, it can be an interesting way to interpret things that go on. And so, I mean, there's just two, two orchestra programs um, and a lot of other stuff. I noticed today that, for example, an amazing festival of LA um, food in the 90s that they're <laughs> doing part of the LA Philharmonic thing. But, um, so we didn't have, you know, that's not an awful lot to represent a whole generation to orchestral concerts. So, you know, we, we, but we, we have a tiny bit of cheating. There's one composer who's definitely from the previous, John Corigliano, and one who's probably Generation Y, Francisco Cole. But I, I think it's quite, they sort of show the, the outer edges of some kind of, form, you know, to, to John's piece and, and Francisco's piece, and then the rest of us, are, we definitely are firmly in the middle of it, aren't we? I think you, you two are more flat out in the middle of it. I'm more on the front end and Francisco's on the back end. But that's okay, it's all balanced, it's all balanced, yeah. Who's counting? Huh? Yeah, who's counting, exactly. So, um, this evening, it's a really amazing program. The first half has two works on it, and to me, they're both about the distortion of time. I, I think, for in my, in my years, I hear it like that. And um, the first piece is by Anna Meredith, 
who is a British composer. The piece is called Nautilus. And Tom, would you like to talk a little bit about that? Because you know Anna, she couldn't be here. I mean, she, she, we, we, we are very similar age. Uh, Anna's really a sort of crossover, what's called person, because she, she plays, uh, she has a sort of rock-ish band. The piece is very rock-influenced. Um, and this is an orchestration of it, which is exciting to play, but I mean, uh, I, I don't know, it's, I, 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 it's grungy as well, I think, if I'm, I'm slightly outside my area of expertise. Yeah. But I would say that if I can, you know, bring Felipe in, the, the, the Anna's piece and Felipe's piece have, have uh, on the face of it, as the opposite poles of what you, you might find, which is, I think, is, I'm very pleased the way it's worked out, that it's completely different, and that's a way of saying, it may not even be a thing, Generation X, other than that we just did whatever we want. Yeah, exactly. But her, be <laughs> her, her piece is, has this rising line that you can keep hearing, and it's really insistent. And at first, you kind of think, hmm, what's going on? And I have to tell you, I woke up this morning singing the line from her, her, her piece. It's really, it's really a, a very interesting work, I think, in terms of the way it, it does time and it, at times, you know when you go off the freeway and you've been going 90 miles an hour and you're in a school zone? That feeling of being stuck in, in honey or something, and it, except in the, in the piece, it's a really interesting feeling. It's almost like you're going to a different dimension. But then the second piece is Brutal Mirrors, by um, Felipe, I almost called you Francisco, uh, Felipe. And it's, it's a really wonderful uh, distortion piece as well in other ways. But would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, first, it, it's, it's not an orchestra piece. It's a, a work for large chamber ensembles, 16 uh, musicians um, that double certain things. Um, it, it was a commission from the Library of Congress, the Kuzewiski, um commissions, and I wanted to use a, pain, um, a photograph by one of my dear friends who also happens to be one of Brazil's uh, most uh, important uh, photographers. And uh, his photo is called Bruto Mirror, which is now hangs in my living room, which is great. Um, uh, but yeah, it's this is eight feet by six, six foot photo of this um, St. Petersburg um, building um, uh, reflected on the water in this diagonal. Uh, and it was part of a project of his that he went to the um, post-Soviet Union uh, 20 years apart and photographed um, public spaces and buildings um, 20 years uh, with a 30 years gap, gap. So you'd see this brutality of time. Um, but also what struck me was this very austere, um, uh, heavy building being made less heavy by its reflection and the angle in which it appears. So I started to, to play, with, uh, play around with ideas of uh, mirrors, ideas of uh, memory. There's um, some key older pieces of mine hidden in the background. Um, there are um, this idea of making something uh, quite stiff into something more fluid. Um, uh, and in this case of music, uh, there's this f structure that I'm trying to carving, uh, trying to weave a line through, but this structure is rather precise and it, it has um, repercussions of, uh, or proportionalities between the little rhythms, uh, entire sections and the whole piece. 
um, as it is. Yeah, so there's, there's all these little elements that are distorted as if in a, in a mirror house, and you, every little element is looked at from that distorted point of view as the piece uh, moves along. So one of the, the ways that your music is described is modernist. So how do you interpret that word in terms of your music? Yeah, it wasn't described by me. Or is it someone else? Okay. But, uh, oh, we can always just say past. Yeah, I mean, these are things that it's definitely not uh, for us to, to work, uh, to, to worry about. Um, but I suppose it, it's, it, it is modern. It deals with um, structures. And, uh, but however, um, in even my music and my background in general, I have had, had so many teachers from extremely different um, aesthetics, and I have them all on my shoulder. Um, you know, as as I compose, they could never be in the same room together without uh, scratching one another. But uh, for me, it's the most natural thing. I'm not uh, French. I'm not German. I'm Brazilian. Is this uh, this universe? This very cosmopolitan. I grew up in São Paulo, where there's a huge uh, communities of Japanese and uh, Lebanese, uh, Italian, uh, Spanish. And for me, I accept very different styles and sets of techniques very naturally, and I sort of negotiate these things in my music. Uh, yeah. There is one um, sound that I've, I, I, it's a beautiful piece. I'm looking forward to hearing it again. I was in the rehearsals. Um, there's a sound that I found very fun, and it was this clicking sound. And before I, you divulge what it is, yeah, there, uh, John Cage, um, he has a, a series of diary entries that he narrated um, older in his life. And one of the sayings he has is, when things aren't clicking, take clicker from pocket and click it. And so I've always loved that. So whenever I hear the click, oh, here we go. Yeah, it's, it's just a dog training click. Uh, I don't even have a dog. Um, but it, uh, it, it's used as one of the elements of the piece. It's just a short click. And uh, this is the most uh, exposed version of it. But it's also that, that takes over the, you know, the strings and, uh, and different things. But also represents the, you know, the clicking of the photographer. Uh, as, as in, and there's many of many of these things. I, I, I won't, I won't uh, give it away. But yes. How many? How many of them are there at the end? There's a lot of people play play them. Yeah, I think they, they each have there's, two. So I would they, say there's a lot of them. Yeah, a lot of dogs. Thirty-two. Or Thirty, yes, and there are only dogs anywhere near you. They would react, wouldn't they? But, We'll see if anyone, what is that, Pavlova? Pavlovian, yeah, yeah, yeah. click, click, and all of a sudden the audience, you could get, have them under your spell. Yeah, but anyway, so it's, it's a really lovely piece, and you're right, the contrast in the first half. The total, and the beautiful textures, the, the water phones, and many, and it's actually, incredibly to me, it has the, it's the smallest group in the program, but the range of colors is, and I was thinking about it this morning, thinking, you know, the palette, you would think it, it was something that you'd done electronically, but there's nothing at all electronic in it. It's all, it, there's so many kind of extraordinary colors and, and, and you know, things which are not fixed, but they move and they distort. And um, so it's sort of a fascinating journey. Yeah, yeah well, I, I thank you. And I just want to say how, what, what, a, what a pleasure it is really to, to work with you. Uh, we, we haven't had time to really hang out a whole lot. Uh, 
but um, it's just great. I've, um, I'm a huge admirer of, of your music. I, I heard Azyla and the Boston uh, Symphony Orchestra when I was a student in, a, that must have been 2002 or 2001, something like that. And it made a huge impression. So uh, it's just a joy to be here with the LA Phil and, um, and working with Tom and, and sharing a, a program with you. Yeah. Yeah, here, here, I, I second that. Um, before I move on to the second half, I just have a bit of uh, trivia. Did you know that there's a whiskey named Asyla and it's quite lovely and it's named after your piece? He, he wrote to me, the, the whiskey maker, yeah, and said, yeah. I like the word. I think he thought it sounded like Isla or one of the Scottish islands or something. So uh, would you mind, he said, would you mind? I said, no, it's, it's fine. And it's still, that was 20 something years yeah, ago yeah, and yeah. it's still going. And it's still it, good it's whiskey. It's flavored with pear juice. It's very nice. It's very nice. Advert. I don't get any money from it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On to the second half of the program. So whereas the first half of the program seems to be dealing with time and distortion and, and that sort of thing, the second half, do you know almost all the pieces deal with dance? Yes, that's true. That's oh. come out very, yeah. You, you probably planned that, didn't you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. And, um, yeah. and we begin, with, we, we talk about your, your okay, piece. Yeah, I'll talk about my piece. Against the half, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, carry yes. it. So the second half starts with my orchestra work that was commissioned by the Detroit Symphony for full orchestra. And um, when it was commissioned, it was for full orchestra, and then the plague hit. So then it was written for 12 instruments, and then it went up to 20. And then when uh, you programmed it for this festival, I thought, oh, gosh darn, I've got a whole orchestra. So now it's back up to the 45 or 46 that I had originally intended. But um, it's called Karyotids, which are those uh, female um, statues that hold up roofs. Like in, in Greece, you see them. And there's a building in Detroit uh, called Book Tower. It's a Baroque building. And there are a series of 12 karyotids that um, are on the, f the facade of the building holding up the, the roof. So I thought this would be a great thing to base the piece on. And um, there are 12 of them, so there are 12 chords that get used in various ways. Um, I structured it a bit like a building. So uh, there are the, there's sort of the fanfare at the beginning, which is one, one edge of the building. Then you've got wall number one, the second fanfare, which I call mid-fare, then there's wall number two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all the corners of the building are these chordal sections that use the, the series of chords, and the walls are all Baroque dances, because the Karyatids, they, it was from the island of Karai, they, were, they worshipped Artemis, and in their worship and their ceremonies, they would dance folk dances carrying... Um, uh, baskets of, of uh, vegetation on their heads. So hence you've got these, my stylized versions of, of Baroque dances, like a, a bourree, a saraband, and then there's a, oh, there's a jig in there. Jig? Yeah, there's a jig in there. And so that, that's basically what, what the, the, the piece is. Um, and again, um, a very wide contrast from both the pieces oh, in the first yeah. half. And, yeah. yeah, completely different. Um, one of the things I've always been fascinated with stones and sculpture, and there's a, a Canadian poet who's long since passed, unfortunately. Her name was Gwendolyn McEwen. I've always loved her writing, and she has, in one of her poems, um, she said, I asked someone if the statue I was looking at was alive. They said no, but they were lying. It was. So that idea of the, the sort of maybe the atomic... I, uh, nature or the activity or the, the magic in stones and sculptures and, and, and marvelous. There's a little bit of a link there with the way Filippo is talking about the 
the photograph I think and the, how the, the sort of visual and um, element and you know you, you resist the term modernism which I, I know we all resist yeah. yeah but and then you know someone would might say it's more classical what you did this because the karyotides are classical literally old in one form but that idea that the 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 statue contains uh, life is um, very nice and kind of yeah um, when I got to Detroit for the performance, uh, the hotel they put me up at was Kitty Corner to um, Book Tower. I was so excited. Next morning, I was out there walking around the building, and I'm counting the caryatids. There are more than 12. And I thought, what? <laughs> there's supposed to be 12 of them. My piece is based on the premise. So uh, there are 19. I don't remember. I, I, I didn't remember the number because I was a little annoyed that the, all my research had lied to me. But anyway. So... After my piece, we have two works that feature the uh, wonderful uh, violinist Pekka Kusisto. Yes. Pekka Kusisto. Pekka Kusisto. <laughs> He's got a wonderful name, and he's even a better violinist. So, um, should would, would you like to start with your work or with Francisco? Well, the, the next piece on the okay. program is, is yeah. um, by Francisco Cole, who's the youngest composer that we've featuring. Um, I think he's still officially Gen X. He's oh, really? just at the end. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Oh, well, that, well, okay, that's good. That, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, of course he is. Um, so, uh, and he's from Spain, from Valencia, in fact. And um, I, I came across his work when he, he was still, well, I didn't know this at the time, but he sent me a score. He was actually 20. And I was just very struck by it because I couldn't I sort of couldn't work out how he'd written it. And it was just, it fascinated me. It was mysterious. And then um, he bega began around the time of this piece to incorporate uh, traditionally Spanish elements, which he'd, he'd really not had. He just decided to kind of do it. And these are flamenco elements, particularly, I believe, Paso Doble, these, again, dances, someone. But he, he said to me that he's not talking about the flamenco you might see in a, in a um, restaurant in Seville or something. He he said it's it's in a cave and it's really sort of the the original form. And that's what it does to him. It's very deep, deeply, and um, he takes it a long way away from its origins. But you can feel and and um, I've done the piece a few times and it, it gets. I enjoy it more and more every time actually. It's a lovely work. We did it. You did it at Tanglewood as well. Yes, I remember I think you did. being on there. Yeah. We we yeah. both had pieces on the same program. Yes. Yeah. So yes. You're a mastermind. Having Pekka here come, oh. all, come all the way here was. I felt we should make the most of. Yeah. And he's of, Gen of, X too. He certainly is. Yes. yes. So Francisco's piece has four movements, and they're all very short, lovely dances. I think it's in the second movement you really hear the flamenco coming mm. through in the slow movement. Um, let me see. That's what do I have? Let's see. Um, That's the Paso Doble. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, it's, it's almost as if, you know, the second one where the, the flamenco is, is an interrupting the very sort of contemplative move, it feels like it's like being insistent and like, no, no, don't forget about me. I'm going to keep interrupting you. That's what it, in a good way, that's what it kind of feels like. It's, to it's, me. it's, it's, it's obsessive, and I think that, I think that you, in Spanish art and music, that has a, that's a very typical quality that comes back to this fatalistic sort of. Sounds very exciting, and it's physically, it's virtuosic as well. It's fun to, it's actually fun to do it and to watch it. As long as we don't have to play violin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then the last piece on the program is the world premiere of think, your new. I think it's the U American, U.S. U.S. American. premiere of Marchentanzer. Mm, yes, Marchentanzer. It's a Marchent is 
fairy tale in in German. I just it's a, it that it's in German because it felt like a much the most efficient way of communicating that that idea. It doesn't work in English very well, um, but actually the the music is very folk um, influenced, very much so. A lot of it is folk melodies that I've, I've sort of collaged and put together and, and um, juxtaposed, and then they turn into something else if you put them on top of each other. And, and there, are, there are four of those as well, four movements of this one. Um, what else can I say about it? The third movement is Skylark. Oh, Skylark, yes. Uh, well, it, it was originally written for violin and piano, and then that was in just the beginning of 2020, so everything, the plans that were there for it um, got totally moved around. So we've only actually done it once in that form. Um, and uh, then I quite quickly made this arrangement uh, um, for orchestra, orchestration. Um, the third movement was originally violin a cappella. It's called a skylark, which is a skylark is a small bird of the um, high uh, hills in England. Uh, well, I mean, probably in Europe as well. Um, and in the spring, they fly up singing to incredible heights, hundreds of feet singing all the way up and they actually don't pause for breath at all. They, they fill their lungs and they have air sacs everywhere else. So like bagpipes, they simply go up and they sort of sing and sing and they slowly deflate. And then when they come, they run out of air, they just go bang and down, down into the grass. And so in a, in a spring day in the downs in England, the air is full of these, but you can't, you know, you, you usually can't see them. So it feels like the sky is, so that's the violin solo. And then in the orchestration, I just had it that um, there were, he would be joined by another, you know, 20 or 30 of them uh, who just play freely. So I just tell them when to start and then... Do the skylarks die when they come down? Oh, no. No, no, no. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> no, they, just, the they just take a deep breath. But what they're doing is saying, my nest is here. Don't, yeah, it's, it's that, that's what they're doing. No, they're, they're fine. <laughs> they, they take a deep breath and they go up again. <laughs> that would be rather sad. <laughs> do, do, do you have the sound of the skylarks on your bird app? Probably. Uh, they, they should be. It's a very it's a, it's a wonderful sound. It's a sort of unfurling like um, yeah, trills and things. Oh, terrific. Mm. Um, after your piece, there will be a slight pause and there's an extra post-concert concert. Uh, you're doing piano with... Well, it's, it's with Pekka and, and um, uh, we're going to play uh, Stravinsky uh, duo concertant and the Ravel Sonata, with the great Ravel Sonata. Um, and in between, actually, I'm going to play a short piano piece by Sir Harrison Birtwistle, who, who died this week. So I just thought, yes. So um, Harrison Birtwistle, marvelous British composer, just passed away this last week, which was very sad. I, I did have a chance to meet him once and was quite impressed with him. And I was a very young student, and he said, your text has nothing to do with the music. But he probably would have said that in an approving way. Oh, probably. I, I don't know. I just I took it as approving because I thought he was be, great. So it would yeah, be a compliment, I think, coming from him. So I know we have to finish a little early today, but in the few minutes we have remaining, um, I have this hot off the press composer's Gen X trivia game. Okay. So, well, so I, I also called, I, I emailed with Francisco and I asked him some of these questions so that I could speak for him as well. Um, but I thought I'd just, you know, quickly ask a few of these questions that came to my mind. I, I, for me, when someone ever says Gen X to me, I always think of rock music and, you know, listening to 
Sex Pistols. I mean, that, that's for me what Gen X feels like, or grunge music, but at any rate. So I just thought we, we'd see what we all think. So here's the first question. Uh, when you were growing up, did you have a rotary or a digital phone? And was it on the wall? It was not on the wall, um, and it was a, a dial, a dial phone. Oh, you had a dial phone. Yeah. Yeah, in the house. Yeah. I mean, you had a dial phone. You didn't uh, have one of the ones where you had to. Oh no, no we had uh, the. The rotary. Rotary. Yeah, well, we call that a dial anyway. That's oh, you a, did? That to oh. me is a dial. Because it's round. What, what you, he yeah, he meant that. Okay, no, okay. No, we definitely had a one. Yeah, we, we, we had a rotary one. It was orange, and it had the little curly cable. Okay, good. That's uh, Francisco said he did not have a phone on the wall. Okay. Um, did you walk to school by yourself? This is embarrassing. No, I had to be driven. You had to be yeah. driven? Okay. It's England. It's dangerous. Well, there's 20 million people in Sao Paulo, and we, <laughs> we spent a lot of time in traffic getting to school. Oh, you got your... Yes. Okay, am I the only one who I walked did, to school? I did go on the tube. You could go on the tube. Oh, you went on yeah, the tube. and you had to change at Camden Town, so it was quite complicated. Okay, so, okay. Yes. Yeah, I, I, actually, oh, I meant walking by yourself, so parents didn't accompany you. No, you wouldn't. No. I, I managed to lose a, a rain boot while I was walking, and I have no idea how I did that when I was about eight or something, apparently, but anyway. All right, here's the next question. Um, in my family, classical music was just always there. It, there was just no question about, you know, I can't even remember the first classical concert I've been to, but uh, I remember growing up listening to Scheherazade when I was a little kid, and Peter and the Wolf, which I think has influenced my music quite a bit. So, um, what... What was your favorite classical music when you were a child? And if you didn't listen to classical music, what was the first piece that you encountered that sort of made you go, ooh, I, I'm going to listen to that? Because I know you, you were not a classical music type. Yeah. Um, well, my, there was no classical music in my house, though my grandfather uh, was a, a lover of classical music. But my parents had very good taste, I think, and. Uh, we listened to a lot of the great Brazilian um, popular musicians, Milton Nascimento, Caetano Veloso, and Gilberto Gil. That's what I grew up listening to. Um, and also that's how I started to play music, playing guitar with those styles. Uh, and it wasn't until college, really. I came to Berkeley College to be a, to study jazz and jazz guitar. And within the first week, I went to see an open rehearsal with Seiji Ozawa conducting Turanga Lila Symphony. And that completely blew me away, and I had no idea music could be those things. And uh, I switched, I started composing the next day, really. That was it, Messian. Who? Tom? Well, no, I mean, mixture of classical, and my, my father especially was, is very keen on folk music, actually. So we had things like, it was like the 60s type, like Joan Baez and um, that world and, and also he played clarinet so we had tapes of actually it was a lot of schubert so that was a bit of a mixture octet and things like that all right favorite 80s band madness joy division <gasps> oh. <sighs> there's so many um the pesh mode Good, yeah. And Francisco said, I'm sorry, My I didn't way. listen to popular music. So there we go. We've got, we've got, we've got everyone covered. You know? This is the guitar music, I know. Yeah, he probably did, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, what's the first rock or pop concert you went to? Um, it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Nirvana in Sao Paulo for 200,000 people. Wow. That's impressive. 92. 
Mine was, I was a bit late, you see, with that sort of thing, because I, 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 there was a band called Pulp, which is, it was my 26th birthday, so that's 1997. Um, and it, they're a very sardonic English band from Sheffield, very funny. Oh, good. Oh, I haven't heard of them. I, my first concert, I think, was Elton John, and then the next week, the Ramones. Gosh. I know. That, they're talking about a change. All right. Now, and I'll give Francisco's answer to this first. You, the, your favorite video game when you were a child. Because Gen X was the first sort of uh, range of ki kids who started playing video games in arcades and then at home, which was in the World Wide Web and all that. So Francisco said, your question made me very happy. It brought me back to the 90s. And I kept thinking about my grandparents and just being happy. And he said the game he played, which he would never play for longer than two minutes because he died or something. It was uh, so... Or he got bored. I don't know okay. what quite that meant. Prince of Persia. No? Some of you are nodding? I've never heard of that. Okay. Uh, mine, mine is a child I played on my dad's HP calculator moon landing, and then it was Pac-Man. <laughs> Pac-Man. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't huge uh, into video games. Um, I, I did play this, that surgery game uh, that you're, you're the doctor. Um, yeah. And it didn't last very, very long. But Pac-Man, we had, and also these tiny things. Was it called Donkey Kong, where you had to, you had to manipulate? They're very small. They were like that. That was my. I, I, I never got into the big no, full screen one. No, okay. Well, on that note, I. <laughs> Um, thank you very much for joining us, and thank you for the concert. It, we're look, really looking forward to it. You're in for a treat. We're finishing a few minutes early to let the maestro back to change and get ready to, to, to wave and conduct and direct. And um, please enjoy the concert, and the, there'll be a, a, about a 20-minute break for them to set up after the concert for the piano-violin duo at the end. All right, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.